Hi, this is Steve from the Retroman blog, and welcome to this special edition of the Retrosonic podcast featuring the legendary voice of the adverts, TV Smith. This ties in with our gig at the railway in Southend on June the 22nd. Um, for more info on that, please check www.retromanblog.com. I'm joined in the pod by Adam from the Jetsonics and rock photographer Paul Slattery, and we hope you enjoy it. thing I was going to say uh, I, I, about the adverts, it, it just seemed on the surface to be really easy. You know, you were in Devon, you move to London, you get a gig at the Roxy, you sign to Steve Records, the next thing you're on top of the pops, it, it, it just it just seems on the surface to, to have fallen into place so easy. I, I, what, well, it's strange. In retrospect, it looks that way, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. It, it, certainly have, it can't have been... <laughs> that simple to do that, but it, it just seems sort of like a, quite a nice easy. Yeah, yeah, that was a nature. I think that was a nature at the time. You know, any any punk band, you know, any band who, who you know who could fit into the umbrella of punk who started around then would just would say the same thing. Really, you know, mm. is that uh, all those first you know twenty twenty five thirty bands? That's the way it happened for everyone. Actually, mm. you know, I mean, we weren't alone in that. Mm. Um, it's just that our star faded a lot faster than yeah. some of the others yeah. and actually although it seemed to go quite smoothly for that first year mm. you know I've spent the next 35 years paying for it <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I remember Orson Welles once saying that his career ran backwards that he started off with a big success and then spent the rest of the life graduating <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I, think, well, that, I sometimes think that's the way yeah. I've, I've been going as well well that's how you start the first volume of your tour diaries isn't it that you start off with mm-hmm. this that there's you on top of the pops mm-hmm. so for most bands that's the pinnacle of their career. Yes. Everyone dreams of being on top of the pop. So you yeah. start off with that. Yeah. And then it's, I'm not going to say it's all downhill because obviously it's not <laughs> like that commercial, <laughs> no, but, not but it, it, it just changes, the, the whole thing changes that you now realise that this is a band that very early starts at the top. They're on top mm-hmm. of the pops after their second single. <laughs> Who knows what can happen from then? You know, you could have mm-hmm. gone on to superstar, mm-hmm. change, but then it's all then complete fast, shift. Well, then sort of fast forward to, you know, for 20, 15 years, no one's, cared less about what I do and here I am on a train with a suitcase and my guitar and I'm going to a gig mm. and uh, I'm about to play in front of people who do understand what I do yeah. you know and that's that's the important thing yeah. is that you know is that it's gone from you know this ridiculous top of the pops kind of fake you know environment where you know actually you're just part of the system really because who mm. can say top of the pops was really a program about music I mean culturally it was significant because again it was the only one and uh, so you think of the, uh, the year in those terms and what was on television, but then it jumps to, you know, actually being in front of real people who like what you do, mm. who I know, you know, I know who they are and they know who I am and we trust each other, mm. you know, to which to me in real terms is much, worth much, much more than, mm. than standing on a plywood box uh, miming to a song in front of a bunch of teenagers who never heard of us. I don't actually have a problem with like mm. quality pop music, mm. you know, if it's no, done well with a good, with a good, you know, um, you know, a good mm. sense of uh, fun Tavares. and, and, and oh, melody yes. and everything. But mm. you know, the truly bad stuff that has purely got there because it's been pushed by the industry is. Uh, yeah. Well, I remember well, he's still he's the same. Sort of be waiting for a punk band or something exciting mm-hmm. you'd end up with Smokey or something indeed but yeah. there's always something but it was a well in my, thing, you know, in my era it was like waiting desperately until you know Bowie came on for yeah. example you know like seeing yeah. Bowie but you know do Ziggy 
So, well, space or no, what was it? He did uh, Gene Genie or yeah. oh, Gene Genie. Oh, yeah. that was amazing because that was live. Yeah, exactly. That was live. Yeah. That was one of the first lives on there, wasn't yeah. it? With, uh, oh, that was amazing. Yeah, the Gene Genie on uh, stunning. Uh, and I was so sick that that, uh, that Sweet beat, beat him to the number one spot with the same riff. No, that's true. They did. Blockbuster. No, was it Blockbuster? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly the same riff. Yeah. I remember those two battling out that's and right. thinking, "Well, hanging, hanging. come on, Bowie, come on, Bowie." Where you were, what bands were you seeing at the time? We, we, well, we had to travel. We, we, we could either get to uh, our nearest, from where I went to school, the nearest. Uh, town where you'd see a band was either Exeter or Plymouth. Not many bands came down that way, sometimes Torquay. So we had like a handful of bands that we were seeing who would actually, or their agents would send them down there. Um, for example, Doctors of Madness, um, who I, I saw Richard Strange the other week and I said, the nice, you know, the great thing was, you were one of the few bands that came down and played the West Country. And he said, well, actually, you know, our agent just put us down there. <laughs> so he so, ended up playing with you later, didn't he? Yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah and, and still yeah. you were at the, yeah. at the cabaret? Yeah, that, that's what we, we were talking about that last week, yeah. So, it's interesting, so you actually ended up working with one of the people that used to go and watch yeah. with you kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, and other bands like Heavy Metal Kids were another band that came down mm -hmm. the West Country quite a lot. You know, they were, oh, they were great Gary, to see. Gary, <coughs> Gary Holton, Gary yeah. Gary Holton. They were a great club band, you know. Mm -hmm. And now when I think of them, how, looking back, having done it myself, you know, like when I look back and think how disheartening it must have been for them to play in a, you know, a club in, in Plymouth with... 35 people milling around <laughs> watching but when I when I went to see them I stood there I was just all eyes on the band I didn't yeah. give a care less about the audience and the fact yeah. there was huge spaces yeah, than anyone that didn't right. even cross my mind yeah. you know but then uh, I think then they gave such a great performance every time you know yeah. and uh, so did any any sort of what we would say punk bands come down the so well, this what? is pre-punk, you know, is what I'm talking about. Um, so, like, the nearest you get would, uh, would be the glam, would be the, yeah. the this yeah. that edgier end of glam, really, like Doctors of Madness, like mm -hmm. uh, Cockney Rebel in the early days. You know, those were the only bands. So were those the mm. bands that inspired... Because you had a single... You did a single, didn't you? Like, your own little self... I, the first DIY I had a kind, single. I had a kind of prog uh, glam band okay. called Sleaze. And uh, so I recorded an album down when I was in Devon, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, I did tour down there as well. <laughs> I didn't tour, no. But I, let me withdraw that. I tried, I tried to get gigs there. Excuse me, my first... Oakhampton. My, that's where I went to school, Oakhampton. <laughs> and I did, my first gig was Oakhampton, uh, uh, was the dining room of, the, of Oakhampton Secondary School at uh, lunchtime. Uh, and my second was Belstone Village Hall. Oh, you Belstone. Yeah, yeah, now, nah, yes. I know. He's impressed now, you see. He was all cynical before. Now I said Belstone Village Hall. Yes. I know, I know. Belstone's right on the edge of Dartmoor. He's absolutely right on the edge. right on the edge of Dartmoor, Belstone Village. It's like you just walk out of the village, boom, you're on the moor, aren't you? Exactly, yeah. Beautiful. Slaughtered. It's really beautiful. The back room at the Yeah, yeah. But it can be brutal up there, yeah. So when you. So you were at Torquay and you met Gay. Mm -hmm. Did you form a band together when you were down there and then moved to London? At that point, I still had, uh, I still had you were uh, sleaze. But um, Gay and I moved in together and we shared a lot of musical tastes. And, um, and due to the inevitable ending of the, uh, of, the, of the term, being at art school for a year, then we, 
clearly that ban was not going to happen. And in fact, we'd had pretty much a, of a breakup anyway because our musical tastes were not that coordinated. Did you like the New York Dolls? Yeah, I loved them. Absolutely loved them, yeah. So when you formed the band down there, we so you hadn't really seen any live band, any of the punk bands. How, how did you get... Well, there weren't any see, punk bands. I mean, So you were just getting records. How did you just what, reading the music press, getting the records... And decided to move to London because you heard about the punk scene? Or? It's, it's not really that straightforward. I mean, uh, as I say, there was no punk scene at that point. I mean, the nearest you get would be the New York Dolls, mm. <coughs> you know, the Americans like that, and mm. I don't know who else was... I just, you know, I mean, to my mind, the pre-punk scene was, was New York Dolls, Velvet Underground... Mm. MC5. MC5, yeah. I mean, you're already starting mm. to call it Garage by back then, yeah. you know, but... Yeah. Uh, so uh, before we moved to London, all that really been was a couple of features in NME or something about this band, the Sex Pistols. You know, they played some strip club, thrown chairs about or something. So that, which I immediately, oh, uh, excuse me, Iggy, of course, is the, yeah. the the huge, you know, that yeah. was the the one, the the one who was really, you know, the precursor of the punk scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, that here in the difference between Iggy and the Sex Pistols was Iggy was this strange, you know, exotic figure in America and the Sex Pistols this bunch of kids who were playing a strip club in London who yeah. thought, hello, this sounds, <laughs> sounds, this sounds, this sounds brilliant, this you know. Right, yeah, yeah. This is, sounds like why, you know, exactly the thing that I wish my band could be, but unfortunately all they want to hear is covers of free songs you know or deep purple mm. you know and they're going to stand there and f cross their arms and not do anything until i play one mm. you know so uh we'll see so <laughs> <coughs> you know that's a that's the thing i mean well i mean anyway we wanted to move to london because yeah. we were on the fringes out there in the in the west country and you just feel this draw you know you want to be where something's going on you know so you, you were teenagers like me, you yeah. could feel you know why isn't why i want mm. more to do with my life you know mm. and it wasn't happening in Torquay. And then you ended up touring with him. How was that a good experience or was it the case? I mean, like, it was a great experience. Songs, it was like, no, brilliant never experience. meet your heroes. When was that? <laughs> um, 77 <laughs> or 78, maybe right, 70. Okay. It might have been late, 70, late 77. I think that was post hit. You know, okay. so we, we did the uh, we did the damn tour, and then you know we were at that, that kind of level. The adverts can play one chord, the damn can play three. Indeed. But actually, I, yeah. I would probably guess that you could probably play a few more chords than the damn. Well, there's time, a good there's a good there's, there's a good six chords in one chord one. Yeah. I don't even know the name. One <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the classic. Punk, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a bit of iconography, isn't it? That, yeah. that post. That was a bit absolutely sensational post. Perfect. Yeah. Bit of, um, yeah. I mean, they're still selling T-shirts. It was up in yeah. Spitalfields Market. I'm walking say like about a slogan that's lasted 35 yeah, years, yeah. you know. I tell you who I found a picture of in my in my archive the other day. Mike Dempsey. Oh, bless him. Yeah. Mike. Mike was their Mike was their manager, and he mm. died quite young, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, must have been mid thirties or something. He was mid thirties. Mike was a nice guy. No, he's a, and I met him a couple of times. He was a really, really nice chap. And uh, I was a yeah. Mike managed. Yeah, he was your manager, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he came and found us at the Roxy, and That's uh, right. yeah, yeah, they just yeah. kind of like fell in love with us as a band mm -hmm. and as an idea. And uh, he loved the songs, and he saw the potential, 
well, what he really said was that he wanted to protect us from the music business because he had nothing to do with music, no. with music managing or managing bands. He was a book mm -hmm. publisher, but he came and he saw the sharks circling, and he kind of came in and said, "Well, I'll try and make sure you know they don't get you." Is basically <laughs> right. what he's doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, he was yeah. kind of stood himself between us and them because we knew nothing about it. Yeah, you know, and he was a, actually, you know, he was a fairly chaotic person himself probably he was probably more of a rock and roller than we were you know at heart because uh, yeah, I'm sure he was you know he was right out there as far as the way he thought and the way he dealt with situations he was not yeah. uh, you know like a, a, a rule book music manager in any way whatsoever mm -hmm. you know? and uh, that's what made him so interesting and, and, mm. and so dynamic as a manager he didn't have very good people's skills with the band either you know he couldn't he didn't want to deal with problems in the band particularly he tried but you know you know but uh, we know the feeling don't we Paul? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dealing with bands yeah, yeah, no, yeah no. bands are a nightmare you know why do you think I'm solo <laughs> <laughs> special second part of your rock and roll photography experience and the first punk band that you said you saw when you come back from America was the adverts yeah so and where where did you see the adverts well, it was in the Nashville it was in Nashville yeah Nashville that's where I met Lemmy backstage mm. so uh, we were the start of your downfall yeah, yeah they you. were you were you, you yeah. were the start of my downfall that was you were the first right. punk band been a pleasure and then yeah. and I, I was there was me with my camera you know Photographing this punk band, I was so I was so frightened. <laughs> Down the front, there's people gobbing and stuff. <laughs> The adverts, fans, they were frightening. So the Nashville, oh, with that time, I'll you... never cope with that, you know. And I think all my pictures, all my pictures of the adverts that night were like oh, very, very poor, you know. Mm. I just couldn't believe that. Uh... <laughs> so, so the adverts... it was one of my first, you know, real proper gigs as well. And it was kind of frightening, really. So one thing I was thinking great about... Great place in Nashville was for it was, a it was band. Great. It was so, like, because uh, these bands are now, you know, like, we... We saw the Stranglers era. You know, and the sure. residency, and it's like these bands that are now like massive. There, you're just standing right in front of them. And at the stage was like what a couple of feet high or yeah, something. That's right. And you sat down. It I was, remember sitting stage, down. It was. Yeah. yeah, you could sit on that stage. It was a couple of feet high. Had you're tables and had right. tables and chairs. Those early, right. those, yeah, early, yeah, those early, those early Stranglers right, gigs. Really. I remember sitting down at, at a table, wow. watching, um, <laughs> watching huge, you know, oh. doing a mock masturbation, you know, during oh, one the songs. Yes, good lord, tables and chairs. I remember going to Marquee and seeing ACDC and there was uh, five rows of seats at the front. <laughs> <laughs> In 76. Yeah, do that, do that, do that. 
They're peeling off the bandage and waiting the light The nurse is the edges and she quivering with bread I'm looking through Gary Gilmore's eyes Looking through Gary Gilmore's eyes Looking through Gary Gilmore's eyes Vision is confused. I listen to my earphones and I catch evening news. A murderer has been killed and you don't listen to the signs. Locked into a private what I realize and I'm looking through Gary Gilmore's eyes. 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 Was it so then you it in pretty quickly, wasn't it? It was all over. Yeah, it was kind of a, it was a it was a difficult year that you know. Well, I mean, for a start, for a start, you know, when we we signed to RCA for a start, you know, so you know, Michael really wanted to get us onto a label that was going to be able to you know really seriously you know he had this dream that we could become huge stars, you know, and you know and be up there with the Clash and the Pistols, and so we signed to RCA. Um, although not with the official A&R guy, he kind of got to know a production manager at RCA and managed to wangle him, you know, who was a huge fan of the band, you know, like a real genuine, loved the music of the band. It was nothing to do with the business, you know, it was he loved the band. And, uh, but unfortunately it was not really within his remit to sign a band <laughs> and within a couple of weeks of signing us, he got the sack. So we were left with a, with a brooding A&R man who hated us because he'd been bypassed. And um, so for a start, we had a label that wasn't behind us. And then for a second, you know, the, we were basically falling apart. You know, I mean, we changed drama. You know, there was a lot of troubles within the band. And, um, and then we were doing this over-ambitious album, you know. I'm happy to say that it was over-ambitious. Mm. Um, we, we, we blew the budget from RCA in the first three days by hiring out <laughs> Manor Studios. <laughs> I'm in Oxford, yeah, right, yeah. You know, Everybody wanted to go to Manor, didn't well, they? Well, you know, we, we had Tom, Tom Newman, to Tom, we had Tom yeah, Newman yeah, producing, right, yeah. you know, who was another great mate of Michael's, mm. because, uh, you know, which, well, you know, he's, I th you know, he wanted to put us, I'm sure now in retrospect, that he just wanted to put us on the wrong footing, because we'd done this album that in its own way was perfect, and the, the obvious next step was to do it again, you know, and, and he said, well, let's get the producer of tubular bells in, 
he's a mate of mine. You know, we drink yeah, down the pub right, together. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, he's you know he's just built the Manor Studios. You know, for which obviously we had to pay full price. And uh, you know, we went there, and you know, we. We recorded in the middle of the night with microphones in the middle of fields and, you know, and guitarists in the toilet. And, you know, and we spent three days getting some of the tracks down and then the budget was gone, you know. And then we had to kind of, like, record in, first of all, on Tom's houseboat, you know, studio, which was also very nice and interesting, much smaller. And then when we were really scraping the barrel for money, we are in horrible little studios in the middle of the night that were going for a cheap rate until the paying customers came in. band falling apart we were doing these songs that we could hardly even get our heads around and um, and you know I think that's why I love what came out of it you know because it was something completely you could never write that down on paper and say this is how we're gonna make the album <laughs> no way mm. everyone would run from the room screaming you know and particularly these days it's hard to to get a, to, to do a project that isn't all mapped out beforehand you know yeah. you hear it in the records that yeah. they're so polished and perfect we thought well I, there's actually no room for me to enjoy this anymore because you've done it all for me mm. you know yeah. and I think you have to put something out there that um, that leaves room for the, for the audience to mm. take part you know I've really got into production you know. lately and uh, you know there's it's a it's an interesting thing there's 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 a lot of ways of going about making an album and you obviously deal with the, the circumstances you've got. And I'm very keen on rough, uh, you know, analogue sounding in the studio, play it live and do it albums. But I've, I've had a lot of practical problems to deal with, you know, which have, has, has influenced my decision of how I make a record. Mm. And the absolute basic fact is... I can't afford to go into a studio and record an album that sounds like it's just coming, everyone playing together, you know, which is actually an expensively <laughs> <Right>. manufactured uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sound. You know, what I do is I write a song and I start recording at home and uh, then I gradually bring in mates, you know, because I love having other instruments on and having mm. other people's creative thing, you know, rather right. than just doing a solo album. Mm. And so my albums are built up that way. And so they are quite produced, but that's mm. because I take a lot of care along the way to make, you know, to make it that way. And yeah. it's, it's not like a big production with, you know, in expensive studios. It's a, but they do, they do sound, do, do, do you know what I mean? I want them to sound good.
after the adverts you did the explorers you were was that always seen as a short-term project? Because you just did the one hour. No, it wasn't intended to be short-term. I mean, it was just like I went full into I went full into it. You know, yeah. as a, as the next band, and you know, obviously, you never know what will happen. Mm. But uh, I quickly found that uh, you know the same thing was happening again. Is we were all getting on pretty well, really. But I was by then I was tied to the idea that you had to have a label, you know, and uh, and when it flopped basically I mean Tom Walt Cruz the single was fairly successful but when the album flopped you know and then we went on tour and there were no there was no one in the audience this was a band that couldn't support itself you know so why, didn't, the, why didn't didn't it take the, you say the adverse audience with you it's, was, was that because uh, of Carter Thousand did I think it was quite a lot of damage to your yeah to your band it dam- well it, I mean yeah I probably I don't know if it the thing is, the times were different. This is the point where I don't think that's the, necessarily the case. Quite honestly, Steve, I think I think by, by then uh, I think punk rock has uh, 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 run its course. I think this know. is the point. It changed. Right. It changed. Yeah, it, it had changed by then, hadn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I think we put Cast of Thousands yeah. out in early '77, you know, mid '77 was our first mm. album. You still had a fairly broad-minded mm. audience who mm. would have thought, "Wow, look at this! This is something that you know, unusual." Well, it's a good point. in Britain as well are actually nothing to do with corporate you know it's about people coming because they've you know often kids have just put the gig on and they've got you there and like the people who come they have nothing to do with they don't want anything to do with that whole establishment corporate thing they come because you're there saying something anti-corporate you know and the feeling the atmosphere at a gig is so great you know mm-hmm. because knowing you're doing it without their backing makes it twice as good as if you're yeah. doing it with it you know more hundreds of times better You 
from playing these gigs. Yeah, that's basically what it comes down the, to. It's just playing a gig, isn't it's it? I mean, going, and, it's like, it, I know it's a weird concept. A musician, he writes a song, he goes out and he plays it in front of people. Yeah. It's a weird, bizarre, <laughs> strange <laughs> concept that I can't really come to terms with myself. But somehow, that's the way this crazy world has turned yeah, but out. But doing uh, it for nothing. But this is what I mean. But when you get out of that scene, mm. then you think, well, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to worry about money for gigs and things like that and managers and promotion. That You go yeah. out to do these gigs. Like, and, you know, we know doing bands, you know, that... And even now, that you just do gigs for nothing, you know. I mean, we've seen Lem Price Three play at Sam Moritz Club on at three o'clock in the morning on a Friday night, and they're not getting paid, and there's like <laughs> yeah, five well, people, and they're just doing it yeah. in the hope that they just want to play. Well, every band's done that. Every band's done that, and you know, we, we, and you know, and to be absolutely honest, I don't do that anymore. You know, mm. I've, mm. I've, I expect to be paid for my job. You mm. know, I've, mm. I've spent long enough doing gigs for petrol money or worse God, you put your time in <laughs> you know, you know and uh, I don't see why I shouldn't be you know get something out of it the same as any mm. other person who mm. works does and it, as you know from the books mm. it can be bloody hard work <laughs> yeah. you know because yeah. almost everything is out of control in fact when you go into a gig situation when you yeah. you know you're in another country you don't know who you deal with it's in the wrong language you don't know mm. there's nothing to eat there's nothing to drink you don't know where you're <laughs> sleeping you know it can you know you're not necessarily getting paid you might do you know the theory is you will do so um, when you're packing up the bloke who's meant to pay you is never mysteriously around. disappeared work with those people anymore no. I work with right. nice people you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. and nice people we understand what the situation is and they know I need to get enough to cover my expenses and have a little bit you know of money on top and uh, mm. and if it comes through the door and they can help me out they will and if there's a disaster and it doesn't work out then we, we understand each other you know right. no one's no one's sort of like going to create a fuss what I won't have is you know corporate gig organised trying to screw me basically you know because sure, 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 sure. uh you know as soon as you start dealing with greedy people mm. then you have to start getting things very carefully nailed down because these greedy people uh who take all the money from other people also will take all your money and they will take everything from you without offering any reward so the yeah. the the important Absolutely. thing is to deal with good people who you both understand you know where you both understand what mm. you're talking about mm. you know so i mean have you ever actually been asked to reform the adverts? Uh, only about a million times, yeah. Because yeah. mm -hmm. I, mean, I know you've done it, you've sort of got bands, backing bands and done gigs, haven't you, on your own terms, but you've never sort of done it as the adverts, have you? So I know Gay wouldn't play bass again, would she? I mean, I, I, no. she wouldn't do it. Well, she hasn't played bass, you know, even if she today decided she was going to play bass guitar, you know, she hasn't played bass guitar for 35 years since the band yeah. split up. You know, the guitarist died, um, some 10 years ago from a, a brain tumour 
you know, we didn't get on with Laurie. That's why we had to, you know, in the end, we had to get Laurie and get another drummer in who we haven't seen since. You know, it's a sh- it would be a complete sham uh, to pretend you could do that again. So, I was, you know, of course, I'm always getting asked and I'm always saying, even if somehow I did it, it wouldn't be the same. So what are you forgetting? Why are you asking me to provide you with something fake? You know, don't, I don't believe in it. You know, I feel what I do solo on stage is much more authentic to the real spirit of the adverts than is if I if I pretend to put a band together. What I do do sometimes, as you rightly say, is sometimes I get mates of mine who are in other bands who love the adverts material and uh, they learn up the songs and we go out and do a best of adverts set. But that is just very rarely just because yeah. I love it, love the songs, I love doing it, I love being freed from having to play guitar and just yeah. letting other people you know, do the parts. Only, and I think it's nearer than, than, than putting, you know, than a lot of a lot of the comeback bands are calling themselves by the original name. I think actually that is, that is closer well, to right. the, the adverts and the, some of these well, bands well, are pretending we're talking to like, be. Let me say, look at Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood, no original I mean, there's no, no original, original members. Now, now I, I, <laughs> no, I They've been going longer. Well, on that theory, I think... They've been going longer than the original Dr. Feelgood. On that theory, why don't some other band call themselves the adverts and go out and do it and then and then everyone can stop hassling me about it? You should license it. You should license another advert. I just get some. Licence an advert. Well, we need a woman bass player. Apart from that, anyone will do. You say, well, give us ten percent or something. (laughs) But you wouldn't do that because of your principles. Damn, damn those principles. (laughs) Damn, (laughs) damn are they those principles? Principles. Damn it, you know. (laughs) But the thing is, it's like you know, we we work. We'll go and see Wilco Johnson. Yeah. You know, we'll go and see Wilco. Wilco's 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 fantastic. To me, like you said, you're the spirit of the yeah, Wilco. Wilco, to me, is the spirit of Dr. Feelgood. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you know, is. without Lee Brillo, yeah. you can't possibly try and no, replicate no. Dr. Feelgood. But yeah. Wilco Johnson is the next best spirit thing. Spirit of the Adverts, that's not a bad name for a cover band, actually. Yeah, that's the <laughs> spirit, spirit of the Adverts. Write it down. Find out the spirit of the Adverts. Right, yeah, yeah. I'll He's thinking already. Licensing it for 10%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only 10. I've learned about these principles. <laughs> you taught me a thing or two about yeah, principles. Right, let's okay. get going. Yeah, 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 she yeah, comes onto our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, but I've got work to do. I'll see you. I've got business to attend to. corporate deals. I'll get my own corporation. Oh, it was. What's yeah, that one right, when you, yeah. when someone yeah. said to you in that in, in Germany, someone said to you in the band, the, the Antwerps. The Antwerps, yeah. The famous <laughs> Dutch, <laughs> Dutch, Dutch English. Uh, the Antwerps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Yeah. But I, it, it, you can't, you can't, yeah, it's difficult to replicate. And I think what you're doing now is good yeah. because you, I mean, one of the questions I'm probably going to get around to asking you is that... Are we doing proper questions? They're always just having a chat. Well, I don't know, actually. <laughs> we are, we're, having, we're having a great But I mean, I'm just thinking yeah. the editing thing, you know. That's oh. Problem, you know oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> It'll work out. Oh, I've got to get your bangs out but the table first. But... It, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a good point, yes. isn't it? Because I think yeah. you, you to try. And They're all part of the all part of the atmosphere. Yeah. Of but to try and replicate the something like the adverts, you you can't. You, it doesn't work sometimes, does it? You know, mm. I mean, like I said, the Buzzcocks did it the other night, and they did it well, and it was fun, and yeah. it was it was the all the lineups. It was a it was a it was a fan's dream. You know, they played. Well, the they thing did, is, but, you know, they did it well, and it was the all Buzzcocks have not have been fair. The unbroken line. That's the thing, you know. So yeah. there's always been a Buzzcocks. There's yeah. always been yeah, a right. Buzzcocks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just like there's nearly always been a Damned, you know. Yeah, and that, yeah, that, so they continue right. yeah. the tradition, yeah, yeah. you know. And members come and members go, but mm. you still see that as a band, even though they're really not that 
close to what yeah. they were when they were at the Hundred Club with, you know, Pete playing yeah. his original half a guitar, yeah. you know, and it all sounded... Well, he did get that old half a guitar out for the... Uh, yeah. Did he? Yeah, uh, he got the yeah. old sawn-off guitar out yeah. for the window. Did he? So yeah. how yeah. anything in this is taking a bit too far. Yeah. Chris Knees comes on and says, he hasn't got... He's got his sawn-off yeah. guitar. I think that's you know, brilliant that he took the, half, the half a guitar you out. Know, yeah. and <laughs> half a guitar out, and it was yeah. just... I hate to disillusion yeah. you, they're, they're replicas made by a company called Eastwood, and you can buy them for 600 quid. Really? Oh, yeah. There you go. Pre sawn off. Santa doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off it's like that, so oh, yeah. Bloody yeah. Pete Shelley. Like distressed jeans. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> distressed jeans. Just bloody disgrace. Like, yeah. of a broken Woolworths guitar. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, my, yeah. my dream. Well, they would have, you know, got a, got one and done it himself. There's no Woolworths anymore. You only really want to play the new stuff, or is it? I do prefer the new song. You know, you've got to be absolutely honest. But Mm. but, but, but what's nice about... No, it's not even really true, you know, because there's a lot of the old... The advert stuff, songs that I really, really love too. They're really, really special to me. Um, But it's almost the fact that you're expected to play them every night that's a problem, because when you do 120 gigs Mm. a year, you know, it's like... You really, you know, I love all my songs, you know, really, all 500 of them or whatever it is. I would love to be able to play them all. And, uh, and you know, the ones that I play every night are obviously also among my favourites, but there's something about the repetition of them yeah. every night that, you know, you sometimes wish it wasn't yeah. that way. Well, I suppose at least you can drop stuff out and in and... I don't know, it's so complicated because I actually I love the moments when I go back and play the adverts so, yeah. you know it, it's, I'm really in a kind of split mind about this because yeah. the, when the moment comes when I'm going to play the adverts it's at the end yeah. of the set because of course you do them at the end of the set it, yeah. it, it's a really wonderful moment when people recognise them yeah. and sing along and everything uh, yeah, the only disadvantage is that if you're going to go really into it is that uh, I quite I like the idea of just spontaneously choosing a set according to the mood, you mm. know, and then finding mm. what song works right along mm. the way. But yeah, there is this right. I am in this tradition where you finish with the hits, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it there's no getting around it. It works, you yeah. know. Everyone like it's enjoys it and, the, and there's a great atmosphere and and uh, and uh, it, it, it must, works. It must know? be difficult yeah. because it's one of the questions I was gonna ask you is that you've got a new album which I think is Coming into land is for me the best album. I feel that's I've been working my way towards that mm. one, you know, mm. with some very interesting points along the way. And like I say, you know, the whole cast of thousands issue is that you, you know, objectively you can't expect to be perfect. You know, mm. what you do is express where you are at the time mm. and all the mm. things that are going on around you at the time. Mm-hmm. And somehow it all came together with the last one. And I think that is yeah, really an album yeah, I, that, that mm. does that is very open to everyone. Yeah, I think I found that as a, as a, as a listener of the albums and that it, it just seems to take everything and put it all together. And, you know, because a lot of your albums, are, they're either very much a, uh, like you work with Tim Cross and the, the, the sort of synthesizer sound, the keyboard sound, or you've worked with D. Tottenhausen, and there's a very heavy sort of the rock. Yes. Qu- quite not bombastic, but the heavy sound. Yeah. But I think I on know. this album, and then obviously you're, you're, mm. a lot of people might be who 
see you live now as just the acoustic mm -hmm. set. If they go back to some of your albums, yeah. that's what I was talking about the production, mm -hmm. they might think, oh, God, that's really, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. But I think this new album, I think later, yeah. really seems to get everything. In a way, what I was trying to do was try and capture the, uh, you know, because I've been playing so much live solo now, I was trying to capture the feel of the solo uh, set with a band, you know. Yeah. Whereas before I'd, I'd let, because I, you know, like I so I love putting arrangements on records and things. There were certainly times when they, the strong songs strayed quite a long way away <laughs> from the way people heard them live. Mm. But now I've, I know people come to me live and then when they hear a record, they want to have the, a kind of a, a translate, at least a version of what mm. they heard live. So I'm trying, and I think they're right, you know. Mm. I think I learned that from the audience is that the way mm. I play live is the pure thing of it, mm. and then you try and arrange it around so that it mm. has some of that. Mm. But mm. you can't. You know, I, I find it hard to listen to solo albums personally. Mm. You know, where you just have a guitar and voice, yeah. because there's something about mm. the you know the the distance from when it's actually happening mm. that you don't really want that playing in your room yeah. all that often, mm. which yeah. is why I, I do try and arrange the albums yeah. and put instruments on. That's yeah, a good point. Mm. Huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, I yeah. just think that's a good record. But do you play many songs from the album in your set? I don't, you know, the, from the new one. From the new one, no. I do. I'm right. working them I in. Mean, yeah, working them yeah, I in. I've been looking at the sort of set lists of. Yeah. Because on your website, you've got a fantastic website, which is really great for fans because yeah. you've got all set lists and gigs and everything. And didn't I mean you play coming into land a lot? But I, you don't. Yeah. I don't. And complaints department. This circular came through my door. It was square, so I complained. I followed the sign marked nowhere, but never got there. I complained. My red rose tattoo turned blue. I didn't know what to do, who to blame. So I called up you and I complained. And I know the dreams come true later, later. And the sun comes shining through. Later, later, but when the big parade turn the other way, I complained. I couldn't get fit, I didn't fit, and I felt like shit, so I complained. My burning questions became overlaid with horror. <laughs> I knew this. I knew this lyric was too complicated yeah, yeah. for me. Go on, go so on. I complained. I overlaid the complaint. Yeah, go on, go on, go on, go on. Go on. But what if my audience thinks We're here. he's not bothered about learning the lyrics properly? We so are. I want my money back, and I complain. <laughs> and I know the dreams come true. Later, later, and the sun comes shining through. Later, later, but when the bailiffs came on my holiday, I complained. Later, 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 later.
Britain comply, but relations stayed strained. I complain. I watched the whole thing, but after 60 minutes, the mystery remained unexplained. I complained. Called up the emergency services, but they didn't know what to do, who to blame, and they said they didn't rate my case as an emergency anyway. So I pulled up the. Yeah, I know the dreams come true later, later, and the sun comes shining through later, later. But when I return to find an empty space where my bicycle has been changed I complain I complain I know the dreams come true Later, later And the sun comes shining through Later, later But there are still dark days When I lose my way Slow down Sit around And complain Let's talk about the book, let's go on to the book because that's what I've been really enthused about at the moment, if you don't mind. I'm really happy about the books. I mean, I think they're great. I started writing the books because, like, it was like, you know, when I started touring solo, and it was quite often like things were really, really difficult and really bad circumstances, and it was like therapy for me. I thought, I'll just write this down because. Uh, no one's going to believe. No one's going to believe this was really happening. And, uh, <laughs> And did then you, along you, the way, it uh, sort of turned uh, into. I thought, actually, this is quite great, a nice journal. So I kept. Writing. The, I mean, you you didn't do diaries from the adverse or no, or no. I just, I just, like, I just started where it stops. So was it a case book. of like because you didn't have a band, you didn't have your like mates or a gang with you to share experiences? Was it a way of like it was putting not, them all down? And no, it was it not. And, no, it wasn't that. It was it was just the fact I couldn't quite believe that what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> you know when because I, I thought people would. When people think about what happens to someone who's on tour, you know, there's, mm. there, there is the kind of state, the accepted image of a band. You know, they go on the bus yeah. and they go on tour, and uh, they go to the gig and they go to the hotel and you know and blah blah blah. Mm. And uh, actually, it's nothing like that at all. <laughs> and uh, so I thought I'll just write it down. For me, it's funny if something terrible happens. If at least I can like read it afterwards you and think, I can't believe it, that. Yeah. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. You know? And I've got a kind of nice story out of it. Yeah. And then as it went along, um, I thought actually these do make nice stories, you know, which I want yeah. to share with people. And and it's and it's also even funny. I think a lot of musicians, it, yeah. you know. All musicians I know have loved the books because they understand completely and they've <laughs> they've all done it, you know, yeah. in their own way. And uh, you know, I, I, for me, it was nice to be able to, to present it also to people who who are music mm. lovers and might not know 
we, you know, yeah. or, or the kind of things that, that you know, that, yeah, that they're that they're, they're heroes. Right, yeah, yeah, but you don't you don't often see that. You know, you watch like Slade in Flame, and at one minute they're playing the Working Man's Club, yeah. then they're like playing at the Paris yeah, Road, yeah. and you think, well, hang on a minute, you yeah. know, that's not really yeah. life is not really like that, is no. it? You know. With the tin of the stockbroker, you must remember. Yeah, I've got pictures. Have you got? Yeah, and I've got pictures. But his mum came on, came along for the tour in the car. Yeah. So, and I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Now, there you are. I mean, this He's is from Brighton. Well, well, yeah. yeah. You're touring yeah. around in, in this. I mean, Attila thought, you know, I mean, she was getting on a bit, and uh, <laughs> might be the last chance she had, a, you know, to. Of seeing them play live, and she was. Uh, a yeah, fan- she was close to. She was. She was, a, she was a fantastic woman, you know, an absolutely brilliant woman, and you know, came out, decided in in her seventies to come out on on tour with us, and uh, you know how brilliant, you know, and so we, you know, of course. Got any photos or movies of her? Uh, there's some. We have a few yeah. photos from the tour, yeah. Well, you know, and, 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 and shortly one. afterwards, you know, she she um, you know tragically you know got Alzheimer's and uh, and uh, till that to nurse her for a while, you know, and uh, but she always clung on to that memory of that tour oh, yeah, that great. she did with us, you know, and always asked after me, mm. you know. So yeah. I think you know you do something like that that really is you know is a powerful experience for yeah. people and. Mm. Of course, she wanted to do it, which a lot of people yeah. wouldn't want to, and uh, and it was very important for her, and and, and stuck with her. Yeah. So, yeah. It, was a, it was a lovely part of the book, you know, that you were touring mm. around and you've got his mum with you, and it's just again talking about the way that you you know you, you read so many biographies about bands on the flash side, and then there you are in a car touring around with this not yeah, at all it's wonderful it's, sort of experience yeah it's not at all you know what people think touring yeah. and yeah. I think you know people mm. understand the cliche of touring but actually that is the cheapest end of it you know it's everything else that happens yeah. that has the real value <laughs>
why German? I mean, why Germany? And, and say, well, right, you know, what what is the, the thing about? Because you speak German, don't you? Well, in, I've, you know, I've learnt German, yeah. Is that, have, is that yeah. because of your popularity in Germany? Or I don't know what it, it was. I mean, I've, cause I've, always, I've, I've always been interested in languages and I learnt French yeah. at school. Yeah. And, uh, and when I first started going to, 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 to France, you know, in maybe the, the early 90s, mm -hmm. my, France was my major country apart from Britain, actually, mm -hmm. and I'd gig there quite a lot. And then that kind of fell away, and I didn't get any more gigs there. Really? I did a couple of gigs in Germany, and I just liked it. You know, I liked the mm. people I met there. I just thought they loved, they understood. You know, it, it was Germans. kind of weird because yeah. because in the you know as I was growing up, there's a lot of bands like Smokey we were talking about earlier. You know, they went to Germany and they were huge over <laughs> in Germany, <laughs> and over here we thought, what, 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 yeah. oh, what's that about? Yeah. Bloody Germans, you know, they like smoky losers, you know. And then when I went over to Germany, when it when my star had faded in England, I found they, they loved me over there. I thought, well, how great is that? You know, they still got respect for you. Yeah. So it was like, it was kind of, it was in that sense, it was a bit weird. But, yeah. but what I found in Germany was that they had a club scene run by um, kids who love music yeah. and not by a kind of corporate... Thing, uh, you know, so there's little clubs, clubs. There, was well. clubs. there was football, football clubs, clubs were very involved, yes. you know, exactly. they, you know, mm -hmm. all sorts of, of, mm. of youth movements mm. got involved and, and wanted to see bands and a few of them would get together, open a place, you know, squats mm. as well were very mm. important mm. Um, and just put on gigs, you know, yeah. so for, for people who were in bands, they had a place to go, mm. you know, and for me also coming out of England, if I went, you know, and I was introduced to Germany by Attila, you know, yeah. who'd been doing that in Germany for well, a long he time. Was, he was a big, I mean, you know, Attila, he was a big, he was a massive fan of, of San Paolo. Mm -hmm. He was one of the first. Yeah, because he's mean, a great, he's, he's, he's a huge, Brighton. he's an anti-fascist, yeah, an anti football fan. Yeah, yeah, he's an anti-fascist football fan. And he was one of the first uh, guys to get uh, British uh, football fans and musicians uh, realizing that uh, St. Pauli were the mm. first um, uh, German football team to support an anti fascist and anti, mm. you know, an anti Nazi regime. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's always really? a danger with football that well, it's, yeah. it's kind of that, that grey area. You know, are you being nationalist or are you being actually, you know, racist? You know, which has always troubled me about the football. Thing, mm. yeah. So what, what is it about, it's funny that where some countries you think, like I said, you said France it sort of faded away and you, you haven't played much in Italy, want... have you, it didn't seem Italy's a big scene for you? Italy's quite difficult. Yeah, and then there's a bit in the second volume of your diaries when you started to go to, to Spain for the first time. Mm -hmm. Now for me, I mean a lot of the sort of garage bands that we deal with, mm. there's a big scene in Spain and, and Italy mm. and you think, well, what, it's funny why it doesn't translate there and some yeah. countries don't. Yeah, sort of seem to pick up on it. I don't know. It, it, you know. I mean, there's two major countries for me now, which is Germany and, and Finland, are my two probably yeah. best yeah. countries outside England. So let's go. That's exactly where we stand 
the moments we spied away the brand And we take our place in a probing state with a common herd the beautiful and damned Had enough of this grey sky thinking coming into land The chance sits on my hands I put in a call for guidance But the frequency was jammed Feel like I lost my way in a bad screenplay The jokes are old and the laughter's only kind And the roots already planned It's a lesson in subjugation But the moles are always crammed I drift up here in this atmosphere so thin That I can barely even
all over after this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, isn't it? And now this podcast is brought to you. They're coming round like by Bombay's mix McDonald's are coming round. Down's not in dressing. Sticking it together. I mean, that still know, freaks that, me that's, out. Um, that's never going to leave my head. The Thousand Island <laughs> dressing sticks together. The Bombay, the Bombay mix together. So it doesn't fall out of your sandwich. I mean, so t- tell me you only did that once. You didn't do. You didn't go back for a second yeah, album, did you? I have one every now and then. You did every few years. Every now and then. Just to relive it, yeah. Well, I quite is. like them. They're quite nice. It's pecan with a crunch. <laughs> pecan <laughs> with a crunch. <laughs> Come off him, mate. You, know, you want to read his tour diaries with his emergency sandwich, you know. You don't need an emergency sandwich. You're living in Brentford in a, in a nice house, you know. Oh, that's the best sandwich I've ever read. Yeah, I must admit, that's pretty... I might have to rename my third book now.